Welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something, Five Star Meltzerathon, where we're going through every match that Dave Matz has rated five stars. Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry there, I was just doing my TNA commentator voice, I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm not Don West. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> And the person who's not scared and not who is scared but not Mike Tanay is my co-host to me, Lorca Mullen, and Simon Cross. Simon, I was just are... taken aback a bit there. I was... yeah. We are in part two of our Samoa Joeathon, our trilogy of Joe matches in the mid aughts and we are in our one and only match that Dave Meltzer's rated five stars to ever come from the promotion known as TNA. Impact it's Wrestling, the one really brief period, Global Force. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, it's also the only match that's a conventional, well, not conventional, but for a pinfall or a submission type of match that is fought under multiple-person rules. We have a multi-person ladder match still to come a long uh, way away. But this is the only triple threat, three-way dance, whatever you want to call it, match that Dave Meltzer's ever given five stars to. What are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about Unbreakable 2005, uh, Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels versus the phenomenal AJ Styles. And it's Christopher Daniels' X-Division Championship that is on the line. Now, I was never a committed TNA viewer. But it was interesting how, for a very long time, it was of equal importance, it seemed, to UK fans as the WWE was, because it had the benefit of being on Freeview. I believe you became a bit of a TNA uh, I watched a, a few episodes during that time yeah, period. And I watched a couple of pay-per-views. Um, but when they come to the UK, they will be in the same venues as the WWE were. Like, you, yeah. Um, they always, NIA, yeah. They always... Your Manchester Evening News arenas and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they always managed to book the big big places. Um, it was I th- I th- again? I think you're right because it was on Freeview. It just managed to get enough of a cult following to do that. Well, in many ways, it's like how WCW were actually more accessible to British wrestling fans because their WCW Worldwide was on ITV at the time on Saturday afternoons at the time when WWF programming was on Sky Sports. That was yeah very limited in its uh, viewership numbers i mean it was i saw way more wcw between the years of 1992 and 1997 well maybe not more 1995 i kind of didn't get to watch anything really in 96 97 than i did wwf at the time and similarly i think a lot of young wrestling fans in the uk got to see a lot more tna than they did wwe yeah but tna has always been an odd duck uh yes You've always, I've always wanted it to succeed, but I've always been a little bit exasperated by it. You know, the Jeff Jarrett era, the Dixie Carter era, the Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan era. Oh, God. All the different terrible. kind of things. They, they, they never, ever quite got it all to work together at the same time, except maybe for around this period of time. One of the things that when they 
brought in pay-per-views on a sort of semi-regular basis, like every other month. I mean, I don't know if you remember when the promotion first started out as NWA TNA. Yes. It was a weekly pay-per-view show where you paid like $10 to watch a two-hour TV show, basically, or something along those lines. Which, when you say it now as a business model, is mental. Yeah. But we obviously this was with um, different time period, different era, and also like WWF pay-per-views at the time were like $40 or something. And um, Yeah. Yeah, so um, probably more than that, especially WrestleMania. But, um, yeah, they finally got a regular TV programs. I think they were on Fox Sport 1 for a period of time, but the main, the main uh, partnership they had over the years was the Spike TV. Yeah. I don't know if this was in the Spike TV era, but that was when, after WWE left... Spike TV and went back to the USA Network. Um, they gradually, they eventually picked up TNA, which I think was around this time. I think yeah. I'm in the mid. I have mid noughties in my well, head. They definitely the were a regular TV product that were then doing the three-hour pay-per-view model. Um, yeah. And one of the things that they were doing in those early years of the pay-per-view that I really appreciated was that the main events were not always the World Heavyweight Title match. I remember in like one of the very first pay-per-views, it was headlined by uh, America's Most Wanted against Christopher Daniels and Elix Skipper of Triple X. Yeah. A steel cage match where you had that famous Elix Skipper oh, doing yes. a tightrope walk along yeah. one of the it's not sides a walk, of though. steel. It's, <laughs> it's a very it, quick stumble. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he moves at pace. He moves at a better pace than I would in that position. Well, I think he knew there wasn't much more time that he was going to be able to stay relatively vertical. Yeah. Um, still one of the craziest sights you've ever seen uh, in wrestling. And so this was, and this main event, this pay-per-view was main evented by this triple threat match for the X Division Championship. And the X Division was always a, a cool concept of TNA, essentially taking on addressing the fact that so many of the young stars in wrestling now were of the smallest um, size and they were wrestling at a faster pace. Yeah. Uh, really picking up the mantle from the WCW Cruiserweight division. Oh, yeah. To- I totally agree with that. But one thing that they did that was very wise was to, to say this wasn't a, a weight division. It was a stylistic division. So mm. it was somewhere between a Cruiserweight title... Uh, the New Japan's old uh, U30 championship, which was only to be contested by wrestlers under the age of 30. Oh, okay. And Not uh, German U-boats, then? No, no, it wasn't. It was basically a, uh, a Hiroshi Tanahashi vanity belt, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, before he became the heavyweight star. He was basically... It was like the NXT championship, really, as well, in that regard. Oh, okay. And I guess this was as well. It was also acting as an... Intercontinental Championship in the sense that a lot of the guys that won the X Division title, like AJ Styles, would... Well, AJ Styles would flitter back and forth. You know, he won the X Division title and the world title within during the weekly pay-per-view era. Um, and and then he would come back to the X Division occasionally. He could, he could wrestle in both uh, divisions. And again, the first example, really, of the best example of it not being a white division was the fact that Samoa Joe was such a prominent part of it at the start. Uh, you know, clearly a guy that's, you know, at least 240 pounds legit. I mean, yeah. you, know, you build them as 260 or whatever, but he was probably a bit heavy, a bit lighter than that. Um, but definitely would still not be in a cruiserweight division. Um, and But what he could do was keep up with the crew, with the X division 
cruiserweight-sized competitors. And oh, he yeah, also no. brought in an interesting element that they made him the... The, the Samoa Joe of TNA really put more emphasis on his submission skills. He was called the Samoan Submission Machine. Submission Machine. And he was undefeated at this point as well. Like, yes. He'd just been bodying people. Yes, a month earlier he'd beaten AJ Styles in an X Division Cup uh, tournament. But it yeah. had involved Christopher Daniels' interference, which allowed AJ to be involved in this match and, and turn it into a triple threat because the winner of the X Division Cup was supposed to earn this title shot. So, triple threat matches. Why do you think Dave Meltzer has rarely, has, has never rated any other triple threat, fate of four-way, five-way match, six-pack challenge that doesn't involve a ladder? Uh, why has he never rated any other match in these um, varieties, these gimmicks, five stars? Um, when you asked me that question just then, I immediately in my brain went to um, one of Stone Cold's um, frequent sayings on his podcast is that he always hated working multi-man matches. I, I don't think they're, I don't think a lot of the wrestling communities of the same mindset. I don't think that's not what wrestling is, like in terms of at its purest core. People, when they view wrestling and think of like, stereotypical wrestling or great wrestling to think about the story between two men and how it plays out in the ring and how they build to that all women (laughs) hashtag 2019 uh all men versus women you know intergender wrestling's a thing now so but i think yeah it's it's a harder story to tell isn't it how do you get those layers of intrigue when there's three or four or five different or six different people they can't all have interpersonal relationships that are as um, involving uh, to yeah. an outside audience, really. Well, so not something you see in any other sports. Really. Yes. No one's ever done a triple threat boxing match, although no. now I desperately want to see that. No one's ever uh, done. I that. have seen a five-on-five five MMA fight, but it, yes. I, it was somewhere in Russia, of course, match, wasn't it? It was a team yeah. match. We've never seen a triple threat MMA fight. <laughs> Maybe it's because it takes a certain amount of reality out of it. Because the key thing everyone always says of what what happens in a triple threat match is usually two people fight and the other one's just not there. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. And we do see a bit, a fair bit of it in this. We do see it in this, but I think what is interesting now is to make a comparison between this and the CM Punk match, which is two people going at it for sixty minutes, so at a measured pace. Uh, relatively and 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 um, and uh, frugality in big moves that are paced around the whole sixty yeah. minutes. This, on the other hand, is a sprint and a collection of moves from start to finish. There, there's big moves almost immediately. There's the pace is frantic. The match is over in less than twenty minutes, I think. I do think, though, despite the fact that you see it is a sprint, they do manage to convey their characters quite well in yes, this. Yes, they convey characters, but do they tell a compelling story of the match itself outside of just constant one-upsmanship? Well, uh, you've you get got where I'm narr- coming from. Like, there's no point really where Daniels and Styles come together to try and beat up the the heavier person. No one has a, a period of of generating heat. By being beaten down for an extended period of time, you know what I mean. That's again one of the one of the perils of multi-person matches. Yeah, and it's a bit weird because actually the, the the match starts with a two-on-one on Daniels, but yes, if you do think about the context, they do have both they both have a reason to 
hate animals. Yes, and it's played for humorous and character uh, reasons, really. Yeah. That it is um, Daniel's being overly brash and loud and obnoxious, so they just take it in turns kicking him, which is a spot that they actually took from the triple threat match, the first main event of Ring of Honor. Where it was Loki and Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, taking it in turns, kicking the back of Christopher Daniels. Oh, there's and... two people that you don't want kicking you in the back. It is those two. And that again, that Dan- sounds horrid. Daniels gets up and yells at them to stop kicking him and then gets kicked again by both of them. Although, Dan- I remember in the triple threat match, it actually had a finish I preferred. Which was they were on opposite sides and both went to kick him, like one in the front, one in the back. Daniels ducked, and so they essentially kicked each other in the shins. And so they were both in quite a lot of pain themselves after all that. Oh, okay. Whereas with this one, um, yeah. It's also. So, do you get where I'm coming from with the triple threat matches? No one can be. You can do it where, like, two of them decide to team up and beat up someone else and then eject them from the match but a great example of that being uh the wrestlemania triple yes. threat between which is maybe other, michael's other triple h and benoit yeah, the other match that people make a case for being the best triple threat match of all time and i think Meltzer gave that match four and three quarter stars i don't have it yeah. immediately to hand um but yeah i'm just looking at it is just like i said it is just a collection of moves so there's like um uh, Joe, like when Joe does his submission spots, it's as much, you know, how can you do that without someone else interfering unless it, they're, they're knocked out for an unnatural amount of time? Yeah. Uh, like Daniels hits a bulldog Enziguri combination on, um, on AJ, like he bulldogs AJ and gives Joe an Enziguri mid flight. Um, Joe hits a leg lariat on AJ and, and, um, chops Daniels to the outside. Uh, Joe hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex on AJ, takes him into the corner, does the face wash boots, and then Christopher Daniels appears yeah. out of nowhere and knocks him out of the ring mid-charge. Uh, probably the most famous spot in the whole match. Well, there's a couple of famous spots. One is um, you get the traditional big dive to the outside where Christopher Daniels and um, Joe are fighting on the outside in the perfect position for AJ to hit them both with a springboard shooting star press plancher. It is beautiful. Now, it's also a very difficult move to make work because how do you get the momentum to go forwards? Like, like I've seen people try and do shooting star presses where they're just not able to move. They essentially mm. jump in the air, flip, and then land back where they were. Oftentimes, that being the top turnbuckle. <laughs> so, Are you referring to... Oh, okay, you're not referring to the Brock Lesnar one where he gets almost no. everything right. Yeah, yeah. Brock Lesnar just gave himself a bit... Yeah, it was... Yeah, it was not great. But he, he, he used to be able to hit that. But you get where I'm coming from. The shooting star press is a bit harder to get the natural rotation compared to the moonsault. Or even yeah. The 450 splash. Because humans you're are top... Against, you're going against the natural gravity. Yeah, because people are top heavy. Yeah. Your torso weighs more than your legs, and you're trying to go against that. Yeah. And so physics isn't in your favour. So overcoming it makes it even more so, impressive. So, you know, it's already an impressive move to do to get that elevation and the rotation in time to not get your feet caught in the ropes or anything like that. But it's also impressive to actually get some distance going forward. Mm. You know what, Si? I think this AJ Styles might be quite good. He's all right, isn't he? Because then, then he also does a bit where Christopher Daniels um, monkey flips AJ Styles and he happens to 
uh, land legs onto the shoulders of Joe and turn that in mid-flight into a Hurricane Rana. That was beautiful as well. I love how Daniel sells that as well. Because <laughs> he, like... he turns around and, like, Joe's on the ground. The crowd's going ape shit. As far as he's aware, he just monkey flipped a guy who doesn't seem to be in as much trouble. <laughs> and he literally turns to the ref, if you lip read, he goes, What happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he, I, I quite like him in this match. He's obviously the one that's not gone on to WWE for whatever reason. It's mostly age, I think. He's He was old. He was the old guy when the, the indie boom happened already. Yeah. Like he, I think he was say twenty, twenty nine, twenty eight when Ring of Honor began. Yeah, and he's with low key and AJ Styles and and Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe were all like twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. Mm. And he, no, I'm glad he's found a spot on somewhere that's going to have a national television deal mm. in AEW. Like, oh, he's kept I'm, himself in phenomenal shape as well. Yeah, and his moon that BME is. He he's a great, fantastic moonsault, and I think he's been wise in recent years to be defined as a tag team wrestler more than anything. Uh, with Frankie Kazarian, another guy that's you know also a fantastic worker that's a bit on the older side now, yeah. but it means that they can share the workload essentially. Yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons that um, the All Japan Six Man Tags match matches we talk about so, so highly is because they were able to share the workload and therefore do more mm. and that's an advantage that this match has but they sp- they sprint through it unlike king's road where it's a slow taper build you yeah. know oh yeah this is spot 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 and i guess it's one of those things that, and you don't get it's very hard to do a match that's just a spot fest without there being some mistakes along the way oh yeah you know we had it you know tlc2 there are a couple of bits like a like Jeff Hardy not being able to complete the ladder rope walk essentially, or um, you know, there's just the, it's just human nature, and I guess this is one of the reasons why it's so rare that this gets a five star match because it's a sprint spot fest that doesn't, to the best of my mind, do anything wrong. Everything's done that spots are constantly uh, including innovate their innovative. Um, Oh, there, there is something that did go wrong, I believe. I was trying to find the botchmania where they talked about it, where Daniels got the finish um, wrong. He thought they were going into... There's a bit, like, about two-thirds into the match where Daniels turns up with... Like, runs in with the belt. Oh, yeah. I think Joe's got uh, AJ in a submission hold. And mm. that wasn't supposed to happen until, like, the end of the match. Oh. Uh, so Joe gets him in a submission hold and basically has to explain to him where they are and what, what they're doing next or something like that. <laughs> and I think they have to semi-improvise a finish after that because I don't think the title belt gets brought back in or does it at the end of the match? Uh, it no. does not, no. No, no, it doesn't. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I've just got, I've just got moves, essentially. Uh, AJ and, yeah, Joe hits a spinning tope to both of AJ and uh, Daniel. That, yeah. And that was, again, like Joe's way of showing he can keep up with these guys, these much smaller guys in a style mm. that you wouldn't think he'd be able to do. Yeah. Oh, no, he's showing a very different side to himself than what he was showing with the previous match we talked about. Um, but again, the the framework is very different. Um, and he's been presented somewhat similarly. I mean, he was the, what, champion that saw off all comers in Ring of Honor. Yeah. And here he's the guy who's on his way up, but yeah, bulldozing but, through. But he's also not, I mean, he's taking as much as he's dishing out in this match. That was yeah. the thing with Joe. He was like, 
I remember his debut was against Chris Saban, and Chris Saban did get a fair few licks in as well. It wasn't a 100% squash. But I do wonder, if you are building up Joe as this monster, maybe he should have had a period of dominance over both of them that, that extended mm. for a long chunk of the middle. Do you know what I mean? There's no period where anyone is really dominant. And that works within the the sense of a triple threat. is like you can't, you know, you've got to look behind you at all times. Yeah. And the idea that they didn't want someone just lying outside for a ridiculous period of time, like a Roman sleeping situation, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, the Roman sleeping thing is a little bit different because it was like the rumble thing. But oh, that, was a, that was just a weird situation. League of Nations, which is weird. Ah. Uh, Anyway, we one digress. Thing, one thing that triple threats do allow as well is that uh, ways of getting out of people being hit with their big finishing moves and not having to kick out a ridiculous number of times because, like, when Daniels hits his best moonsault ever to AJ Styles, it's Samoa Joe that breaks it up. Yeah. Um, when Samoa Joe hits a muscle buster, I think someone else uh, breaks up that pin as well. They are a great way of protecting characters because, obviously, Joe undefeated um, still remains undefeated but does not win, and it helps slow the story um and doesn't mean he unnaturally gets the belt too early before he should yeah you know i mean they can keep the taper at a slow pace yeah on his push uh we see a this is awesome chant which is a relatively recent phenomenon still it was tna that actually was the first time i ever heard that chant i think it was during an ultimate x match maybe six months earlier or so uh, that was oh. the time I can recall. This is awesome. It didn't really become a WWE champ for quite a few years, and then yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I loved Ultimate X. It was just a great way of taking the ladder match even further. Mm. Yeah, but... it was a, I like that it was a concept that was uniquely TNA's. I always appreciate when TNA actually did, did something that. innovative, like the Monsters Ball and all those sort of things, mm-hmm. and the X Division title. I think the X Division title will always be seen as maybe the great achievements of TNA, uh, if we don't count whatever Impact Wrestling... Impact Wrestling is now essentially a little mini-territory up in up in Canada. Yeah. Um, it's just so- mad how it's changed. Although I will say TNA, as well as just not... It wasn't just a case of the X Division was what it had going for it. The way it was treating women's matches compared to what was happening in yeah, WWE yeah, at the time. Few, yeah, with the Gail Kim and awesome kong and, and things like that they were actually a bit ahead of the wwe uh yeah. period of time you're right i mean they still had characters like the beautiful people but that that almost worked within at least it worked within the gimmick of those characters themselves yeah it's, they, they were they were beautiful people who could also wrestle they weren't just uh but it was also like they were being treated like they wanted they they was, saw themselves as that and it was superficial and vacuous whereas in the yeah. wwe to be on the cover of playboy they would like get into the propaganda thing and they're delighted and it's uh, it's guaranteed title shot for the divas belt that. yeah 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 and all that sort of stuff i mean i think are we peak divas search on the other side as probably, well probably so you know they i mean they stephanie mcmahon loves to say that she invented women's wrestling <laughs> i think sometimes stephanie gets more stick than she deserves yeah i know uh, but she has plastered herself her face she has but... yeah she clearly has a, a healthy ego yeah that's herself um, but here's where but like, like father, like daughter, you know, the apple yeah. doesn't fall far from the tree. But here's where, like, women's wrestling had a televised platform at this time, and WWE wasn't doing yeah. that. So, you know, that, yeah, that's, yeah. I'm saying TNA brought something different to the table, which has maybe inspired more women to get us to the stage where we're at now. But let's get back to the match. Uh, I've got the finishing sequence. Have you got anything else after that, or before that, that you wanted to make a note of? Um, I 
Don't really, no, um, because, as I say, it is mostly... I am impressed with AJ Styles getting the torture rack in on Samoa Joe. Yes, and he turns that into a rotation, into a slam, doesn't he, as well? Yeah. Well, that was the thing with AJ. He was this fantastic combination of agility, strength, coordination, balance, uh, all-round athleticism, and he was also very charismatic. He's got gorgeous hair. Not hair, but... Yeah. Well, I don't like the longer hair now. I, my favourite AJ hair is the New Japan era hair. And it's kind of the hair he has in the first Royal Rumble match. Oh, okay. That he appears well, that's in. still long hair. It's like, but... it's like a slightly longer Beatles mop top. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was my that was my favourite AJ hair. Um, you, what you're saying is a bit too long now. Yes. I th- well, it's just, like they say, the soccer mom haircut. <laughs> that man should get a haircut. Look at him, like a down. Someone hip. was saying an amazing thing you should do, like a, a heel should do in a, a hair versus mask match in Mexico, uh, which is a huge deal. And they're like, you know, it's it's either taking someone's dignity and or claiming a trophy, a victory, like in the triple threat in the triple uh, A mm. match that we saw. Yes, someone should t- the heat if they're if they're the the, the rudo in that match and they're putting their hair on the line when they turn up at the arena they should turn up with their head shaved well you were there was the clip um was this in our chat where you sent me this clip i, I have seen this clip recently where there's that tournament uh where great oh, sass yeah the dirt bike kid yeah yeah and he unmasks himself and he just gets the ever-living piss beaten out of him but you but you get where i'm coming from the idea of you can't even claim a victory over me yeah, I've just chosen to shave my head under my own volition, so you get no trophy from me. But I can still claim your pride and your dignity. I'm, I do. Yeah, I, I can't lose, and you can lose everything. Yeah, I do like that idea. I think that would work. Yeah. You'd have to have obviously the right people and someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone who looks good bold as well, because if it doesn't look good bold, it. Well, they work. don't even have to be bold, bold. Just like a number one or a number two all over. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be Christopher Daniels. They can be like Randy Orton, you know. Yeah. Anyway, the the so to get into this, I, I don't know how I, I'm I'm half and half about the finish because they're doing all these big moves, big moves, big moves, big moves, and it ultimately is won by a a backdrop out of an angel's wings into a cradling pin for the three count, whilst Joe's on the outside. But I do get the need for it to be sudden for you to win in a triple threat match because someone can break it up so quickly. Someone else is there, yeah. Like, AJ, you know, there's a difference between Joe being knocked to the outside and AJ hitting a Styles Clash going up to the top rope and hitting another spiral tap or something like that. Even yeah. the Styles Clash itself is a slightly intricate move that you got to get right and then roll them around and get into the right position. Oh, yeah, because, well, let's face it, there have been consequences to getting that wrong yeah. in a safety perspective as well. Whereas this is just a sudden flash pin, but I also, I don't know, and, it, and it, you know, it keeps Samoa Joe strong, but you still there's still a taint to that record now. It's like how, you know, John Jones does one <sighs> against his tally, you know. Yeah, well, John like Jones he, got. There's a lot more wrong with John Jones's record than his defeat. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's different kinds of records. Don't start me on how he's pissed away potential time and time again. Ah, I hate. I just. I hate how a man that athletically gifted is just that much of a twat. To continue pissing away their potential, TNA. Um, <laughs> the thing with TNA is they, they should have been happy being a number two promotion, but they always had delusions of trying to become number one. 
without ever even coming close to being number one. They were too and- much... The reason I never got into watching them was they were not enough of an alternative to the WWE outside of the occasional hot X-Division or tag team match going on. And they always hamstrung themselves. Um, the main event mafia, which was like, what, uh, Booker T, Kurt Angle, uh, oh. Scott Steiner, yeah, uh, people like that. Like, okay, cool. You've got your your like or stars from different promotions. Yes, I accept that they've built their career elsewhere. That happens. Mm. Uh, time is a straight line, after all. However... To have them be called, A, the main event mafia, which sort of implies the other guys are inferior. And yes, I know that's what an arrogant faction should do, but don't like over like egg it that much. And then to have them like constantly be like the guys underneath. I think there's a great example where um, Ric Flair creates a faction called Fortune. And these guys are, these are basically my new four horsemen. And he spends all this time talking about how these guys, how no one could ever be as good as the new four horsemen and himself. It's like we you're being very counterproductive to what we're fucking doing here. Yeah, well they would always they'd always get like half of the idea right but never pull it off. Like the the main event mafia was essentially them trying to do the storyline that everyone always wanted WCW to do, which was the old timers against the young stable, and the one time they did it, they completely screwed up by making the old timers the baby faces and everything. So they were trying to get it right, and they did what you know. They always wanted AJ Styles to be their guy, yeah. But then they would back out of it themselves. Like he had so many coronations, as now you're the you're the champ, and now it's going to be you know this is your Austin at WrestleMania fourteen. Yeah. Hogan and Madison Square Garden, John Cena at WrestleMania 21. This is now your time. But, you know, the 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 law of diminishing returns. They did it so many times. I think you want it like you want it off Jeff Jarrett very early on in the weekly pay-per-views. I think you want it off Jeff Jarrett several times and it was like the dawning of a new era. I remember there was one where the, like the crowd invaded the ring and Christopher Daniels was at that point AJ's best friend and they were celebrating together when AJ was supposed to be the guy to vanquish aces and eights and then yeah. you know only a few months later he leaves the promotion. Yeah. Uh, you know that well he was always he was the sting of TNA basically until he went to the WWE. That was always what AJ was. He could be... Because Sting would, like, he'd be the world champion, but then occasionally they would just give up on him as the world champion. He'd be slotted into, like, the US title scene, which was AJ's equivalent of them suddenly going back into the X Division. X Division, yeah. And so on and so forth. Although the X Division had less of a stigma against it as a yeah. relegation, I would say. Yeah. Um, but it was that running gag of who, what is, you know, and the bastardised version of a wrestler's mm. na- WWE's name doing in the Impact Zone. One yeah. of the, because um, I, I didn't have the internet around this time. Um, one of the pay-per-views I got, I think I made to burn onto DVD for me, was uh, the Lethal Lockdown uh, pay-per-view, which is their all-steel, every match is oh, inside God, a steel yeah. cage one. And one of the matches on that, I can never remember the year, but it's an electrified steel cage match between LAX and I think Team 3D. Yeah. It's an infamously Fire Russo match. Yeah, yeah. And that's, as much as they were trying to not be an alternative enough, sometimes when they were trying to be different to what WWE was doing, they they over... Uh, 
They, did they, had, a, they, had, they had a champagne idea and a lemonade budget. Champagne in terms of cost, purely in terms of cost, not in terms of quality, by the way. I just want to make that clear. I do not think this match is quality whatsoever. Uh, and the finish of that match doesn't even make sense because the guy, Hernandez, puts on rubber gloves so he can climb the cage. But then when he straddles the cage at the top, his tights aren't made of rubber, so surely his testicle should be being electrocuted. Uh, it makes no fucking sense. He had a, one of those really large condoms on. I don't know. What about the balls, Lorcan? What about the balls? I'm sure there are there are I, there are instruments out there that can. I wouldn't know of them, but you know. And if you want to inform us of instruments, <laughs> you can be in touch with us on. Yeah, well, I think just the basic problem, the weird thing was that the thing that saved TNA was also what condemned TNA, because so long it was the vanity project of Dixie Carter, but it was also the vanity project of Dixie Carter, Dixie Carter. yeah, <laughs> who never had the. Who always listened to the wrong advice, it seemed. Now, there are people like that in life, though, sadly. Yeah. She she seemed like a nice enough person. Yeah. With a bit of a vein. She, she, you know, she, she had an ego, like we all do. Yeah, um, but she took the bump, though. Obviously, when Bully Ray did put her through a tape. You know what I mean? Just all these, like, being tricked, you know, essentially manipulated into begging Hulk Hogan to stay when he makes his exit, you know, and all that kind of dumb shit. Um... You know, you've got to have look. You've got to have your head switched on when you're dealing with the Hawkster. Yeah, and uh, some people don't. But I think if if look, if you're going to remember the good times of TNA, there's not really a better match to look at than this. Really, mm. it gave AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Samoa Joe their national TV exposure that made guys like Joe and AJ ready for um, WWE when they turned up. And Vince was like, "Who the fuck is this incredible guy?" <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and Nick Foley's uh, just screaming. I told you about him ten <laughs> fucking years ago. And Christopher Daniels is probably going to be one of the top uh, creative voices um, in AEW for as long as he feels like it. I mean, who knows? Maybe Tony Khan isn't, you know, is just uh, that Dixie chick with the dick. You know? Um, Dick oh. C. Carter. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, we, we don't Dick C. Carter. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> One of the things I will say we've not mentioned, which was because obviously this is our only foray into TNA slash Impact at the time of recording. The production values are good. Uh, yeah, and they really uh, um, they really accelerated and with their production values on some bits, and some bits were still really hokey throughout. It's like yeah, they never just had the cons- the discipline and consistency, but they did grab what well, they gave rather the hardies the platform to grab the imagination of the wrestling world by storm i don't think total deletion would ever have happened in a different environment well that was a difference yeah yeah well yeah the inmates were running the asylum at that sort of point but look what you thought out of it like sometimes that's good yeah well you know you throw enough shit at the wall something will (laughs) it was the best but you also it was the blurst of times you stupid monkey you throw enough shit at the wall you may get a good idea but you also get a very shitty wall (laughs) <laughs> and, that's been in the 80s though wasn't it yeah but um yeah and and um yeah if you're gonna remember the good times remember that the the x division remember guys like beer money remember 
that they just had an insanely good roster of wrestlers. There was a time when their roster on a quality level was probably as good as what the WWE was doing because WWE was so still so body-focused and taking these guys from developmental that weren't being trained or just weren't offering what we needed, whereas they, TNA was just kind of picking and choosing the best from the independence scene. Yeah, and, there, and some of the... I love Christian, uh, and I, 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 I'm of the mindset that he would never have been a world heavyweight champion if he hadn't had the opportunity to go away and prove his worth to Vince and go, look, I can do stuff elsewhere. Mm. Well, you know, there's all sorts of things we can talk about. There's all sorts of factors in that. You know, Christian, when he was in TNA, would con- would often be asked why he wasn't wrestling anymore. <laughs> so there are obviously faults within what TNA yeah. is doing. Um, like I said, you know the WWE doesn't care about TNA anymore when they allow wrestlers to occasionally mention it. Yeah, you know, like Kurt Angle dropped a reference at the uh, post WrestleMania. Well, RVD when he turned up at Raw reunion had been wrestling for TNA like less than a month before. Yeah, because they're just well, um... yeah. Well, they're not seen as that much of an issue, especially since they're just up there in Canada as like a Sammy Callahan Tessa Blanchard thing. And I don't, I don't pr- have a problem with that. I think it's just another avenue, another place for guys to work. Without the sense that they've got to, you know, TNA always, like I said, TNA just was always WWE light in too many ways to make me want to watch it because they weren't offering an alternative, not a consistent alternative, especially not with guys like Jeff Jarrett and Kevin Nash and Sting and and all those other guys in the main event. You know, they did give Bobby Roode a chance, James Storm a chance. Um, they were the first ones to give Rockstar Spud an opportunity. That's um, true. And now look at him. They were they were the Rushing. they were the they were the place that gave that gave Gail Kim and EC3 and Bubba Ray Dudley chances to prove that they were among the best in their fields mm. in in certain ways or another. And Bully Drew Ray McIntyre and all those others, you know. Yeah. I I'm gonna ask. Um, okay, do you think the fact that maybe they did copy WWE? so much um, led to the fact that it took what so TNA founded 2002 we're in 2000 and I wrote no 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 when this oh match... this is 2005 so this is only like three years in yeah three years in um, do you think the fact that AEW on the other hand isn't copying it's a different as... it's an entirely different situation an entirely different creation an entirely different culture yeah an entirely different environment you know <laughs> the, the internet is so much different to what it what now you're talking you know aew is the promotion of the social media builds yeah but it's just it's interesting that they had a five-star match within what yeah well you know again we i know but we are looking that at when of... we come to it see hey so, uh, also, just last thing, Don West. Either everything's great or nothing's great. That you just tune are you quoting Syndrome from the, the Incredibles? Maybe. Maybe when everyone's super, no one will be. Sometimes they have a point. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't even obnoxiously bad. You know, there was passion and. It's better there's passion than no passion, like a David Otunga or an Alex Marvez or something like that, you know? But there's a balance. And and Mike Tanay just has to stay at that level as well yeah. throughout the whole thing. That's the thing, though. If you start on 100, yeah. you have nowhere else to go. Yeah, yeah. So, I just tuned it out after a while. Um, but, like, again, if you sometimes complain about Michael Cole or what have you, 
I'll be thankful for what you've got at times. <laughs> it can be worse. Yeah. All right then. We talked a long time about this. We thing. haven't. I I feel like from our the way we've our vibe, we have we've sort of answered this question. But to give it the um official platform, would you, Lorcan, give this match five stars? Not quite. It's it's a great match, but I wouldn't quite give it five stars. Yeah. Uh, me neither. I, I, I need more story. Yeah. Very good fun, but not five stars for me. Yeah. Still, like like I said, if you had to watch one TNA match, that would be right up there. Um, but if people want to get in touch with us and give us other TNA matches they think would be better, or if they think this is a five-star match and will tell us why, uh, I think if you're into a certain type of wrestling, then, you know, if you're into the other, in many ways, this would be a match that would not look out of place in AEW, mm. you know? Uh, but how can people get in touch with you, Simon? Uh, then get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the fact that this was a triple threat match. Nice. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for action, N for non-stop. You can totally get in touch with me if you put an at gmail.com at the end of that. Or you can find me on Facebook, Letterboxd, uh, Twitter, Instagram. All good things on that one as well. You can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. And if you shave lmtys off of some fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. Sorry. Don't add fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. But if you just put lmtyspod into Twitter, you'll find our Twitter account there. And we're actually tweeting occasionally now. (laughs) Will wonders never cease? You're keeping that in now, you dick, aren't you? Yeah, it's almost as if some people's lives have changed greatly. (laughs) Almost. Well, that's the time for another in joke, and, and oh. <laughs> uh, people can make from create from that what they will. Yeah, but there's nothing left for me to um, say except except my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five star time until the next time. And Simon's coming over to my flat to beat the tar out of me. <laughs> <laughs>